0: Hey, hey, welcome back. How you doing? Did you miss me? Did you think I disappeared? Nope, I'm well, still here. Still coming back. Thank you for coming this far with me, and if you're new, welcome. A few bits of admin to talk about before we get to this week's interview. I shouldn't say weeks exactly, because this doesn't exactly happen every week, but it just sounds like the right thing to say for this episode's interview. So... Couple things. When this episode is published, it's going to be accompanied by a portrait of the interviewee, Jen Kiaba, uh, and that's going to be released on Instagram. Now, if you will recall, a couple weeks ago, I was awakened to the fact that I actually had an Instagram account, and uh, the illustrious Faith Yen decided to get involved with me on Instagram. A few things have happened since then. Uh, Number one, I realized the power of Instagram. Um, faith has actually gotten a different job, which means that she can't help me with it. So I'm on my own on that front, but I'm enjoying it and it's working well. And I thank you faith for opening my eyes to that. Um, but there's something else that that's occurred to me. So when I released the last set of episodes within a week of publication, according to the analytics that I have, they were listened to on over 300 different devices And I have to say, I have a lot less than 300 Instagram followers at the moment. So all you 300 people, if you want to be a part of the portraiture, you want to see what's going on there, why aren't you on Instagram? At FallingOutPod. Hope to see you there because that's where the photos are going to be. Eventually, they're going to make it to the website, but that's where they're going to start. A couple other things on the whole... uh, social media, marketing, statistics front. Um, it's been an interesting couple weeks. I must have flipped a switch on the internet or something because I got two automated emails a week or two ago. Um, one was trying to sell me hosting services for my podcast. Another one, let me read this to you. It's, it, it's kind of fucking cool. Hold on here. Here, this is from a guy named Carlos at Podstatus, which kind of does like podcast analytics. Hello, how's it going? Hope all is well. I have some cool information that might interest you. Your podcast, falling out with Elgin Strait, has good performance in Apple Podcast Rankings. Last 30 days. Position fifteen in the category Personal Journals in Austria. Um I don't know what's happening in Austria. I don't know who's listening to this in Austria, and I don't think that that is a function of me having that many listeners in Austria. I just think it's a function of Austria probably being a very, very, very small podcasting market. But whatever the hell is happening, thank you, Austria. I love you. Let's continue looking at the stats. Position 38 in the category of personal journals in the Philippines. Amazing. Position 94 in the category of personal journals, Japan. Position 148 In the category Society and Culture in Austria, again. Ooh, ooh, Austria. Position 189 in the category Personal Journals, Spain. Position 189 in the category Society and Culture, Philippines. So, um, yeah, something's happening out there. I'm uh, delighted that this gentleman, Carlos, sent me all this information. Thank you, Carlos. I I hope you hear this somehow. Um, But, yeah, it's been quite cool to see kind of where this is uh, potentially... Going. Okay. Um, let's get back to this show. Um, so this episode is with Jen Kiaba, and there's something important that I want to address, and this ties back into the statistics. So I've been looking at the statistics, and I can tell that there's a drop-off in listenership between the, part one of an interview and part two of an interview, and... And this was a very lengthy conversation with Jen. It topped out around three hours long. And for that reason, I've cut it into three different episodes. But what I don't want to happen is to lose people along the way between episodes one, two, and three. And so this is what I'm going to ask of you is if you feel like you need to skip, that's fine. But don't miss part three. And there's a very simple reason for that. The reason is... I think it might be the most important episode so far, and the reason I say that is because if you've been listening, you will note that there was a young woman who died she was raped and murdered while she was out fundraising for the unification church and that incident has been mentioned a couple times in previous episodes um, Jen was very close to that incident and very close to the person and I think sheds a lot of light on that specific incident and personally I think that is really important and I don't want anyone to miss that. So this is not to take anything away from the rest of the conversation but if you got to skip anything skip ahead to part 3. And if you got to wait till it's released then just wait till it's released. It's important. That episode is called Her Name Was And it will be released on the 20th of April. And now with all of that in mind, I want to come back to this episode, part one with Jen Kiaba, and specifically something to add about the beginning of this, where we add a new section. I hope you like it. It's called Auto-Tune the Moon, and you'll have to listen to hear it, but couple things. Number one, the way it was recorded makes it a little faint, so I I apologize for that in future episodes. I'll fix it. Um, But also, I realize that it might be kind of offensive to some people. If it is offensive to you, I want to ask you this. Why are you offended by words coming through an auto-tuner as opposed to actually being offended by the words that are being said themselves. And actually I want to circle back to this whole Instagram conversation. So as I've been awakened to what's happening on Instagram, I've kind of seen some discussions that have been happening by various, uh, you know, former second gen uh, and I, I happened to tap into one uh, Instagram live uh, where some folks were kind of talking about what was, what was going on in the, discussions that were being had in various places. And actually my conversation with Ares Meyer in episodes three and four was directly referenced in the 10 minutes that I happened to be watching that. But there was this idea that was mentioned there, which, which is, you know, the whole church, the whole unification church may be corrupt, but that doesn't matter because I still have faith in Reverend Moon. Reverend Moon was pure and good and everything about him was great, and I will follow him because the man himself is pure, and I will follow him. Any of the faults of the organization are the faults of the organization and not of Moon. Okay, that's fine if you want to believe that. But if you want to believe that, you also have to believe and fully support all of the horrific stuff that Moon said and that we're going to skewer the shit out of in Auto-Tune the Moon. I hope you enjoy it. And also... Tell me what you think about it. Hit me up, Falling Out Pod, on Instagram and on Twitter. If it's dumb, I'll stop. If you like it, I'll keep going. Also, if anyone wants to submit some for a future publication, hit me up. I'd love to hear them. First, let's do a bio with Jen and then we'll get into the show. Here we go. Jen Kiaba is an artist and educator who grew up in the Unification Church. After escaping a forced, arranged marriage, she fought her way out in her early 20s. After leaving the cult, she went on to earn her B.A. in art history at Bard College. As an artist, she uses photography to explore the failure of faith and the resulting loss of identity that occurs. Her work has been exhibited internationally. She was a third-place winner of the Julia Margaret Cameron Award, a top 200 finalist in Critical Mass, and an honorable mention in the 13th Pollux Award. Since 2014, she has worked as an educator and mentor with various nonprofits that seek to empower youth. She also writes and speaks about art, healing, and their intersection. For more information about Jen, as well as her artwork, check out JenKiaba.com. It's J-E-N-K-I-A-B-A.com. I have to say, if you grew up in a cult, her art is going to resonate with you. It kind of shook me to the core when I saw it it's pretty fucking awesome anyway here it goes part one of the interview with jen all right uh jen welcome to the show um, thank you for having me i think as discussed in the prep call i wanted to uh try something different to, to mm-hmm. start the show off um so this is the the beginning of a new segment that we're going to try out. It's called it's called Auto Tune the Moon, and <laughs> the way the way it works is uh, my guests send me some of their favorite verses from Reverend Moon, uh, and we run it through an auto tuner and we see what it sounds like. And the purpose here is to give people a sense of um, this sort of batshit crazy stuff that we had to listen to as kids. Um, okay. So we're gonna start there and then we're gonna go back to the normal show stuff. But uh, without further ado, um, here goes, let's see if this works. A man's reproductive organ is shaped like the head of a poisonous snake. It is always looking for a hole to slither into. A woman's reproductive organ is concave like the wide open mouth of a poisonous snake with fangs. Once this snake bites, poison quickly spreads through the body bringing eternal death. You young people, if you make a mistake, you might create a result uh. worse than an atom bomb. How dangerous your sexual organ is amongst you women. Are there any who feel they do not need <gasps> you? Please raise your hand if you feel so. If there is such a woman, you have to plug up your love-making organ with concrete.
1: That's <sighs> so dark.
0: <laughs> oh my okay. God. Oh my God. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Okay, so people, we're both just cringing <laughs> uh, on the video. Um, uh. Holy shit, that is dark. What
1: Okay, so so I just I want to give the listeners a little bit of clarity. I sent you some of these quotes, and that's yeah. like a mad Libs of several different. Yes, quotes, that was right? three so, different
0: speeches that I yeah. put together. Yeah, yeah.
1: So yeah. I I remember being at at least two of them. Um, one of them was given at the Harlem Baptist Church when I was 16, and then the other one was given at Belvedere when I was 16 as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but the "plug up your love organ with concrete" oh one—I like—I think I remember hearing that at Hyundai, K, and that was something that stayed with me for years. And and the sexual violence of it never really occurred to me until very recently. I didn't have like the language for it, mm. um, but. The fact that he said that and he said it more than once too it's in two different quotes that I sent to you. okay you must have loved receiving it, those oh yeah it was, it was great it was, it a was be- buffet beautiful of yeah. wonderful yeah <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah I mean it just it really struck me as like how hypersexualized the church was when we were growing up and yet it was such a suppressed environment. And I've talked to people who've grown up in similar high-demand groups, and, you know, it's interesting because a lot of them have said similar things that within purity culture, even though we were sexually repressed, it was a hyper-sexualized environment. Mm-hmm. And these quotes, I mean, they're, they're so dark, like, how are you supposed to have a healthy relationship with your body, with a partner's body? No. How do you have intimacy if you're like, okay, you're a poisonous snake and I'm a poisonous snake yeah. with fangs. Let's do this.
0: Yeah. There's, there's only poison involved. Yeah, in that,
1: yeah in that. absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I mean, it's tragic. Like you and I were laughing. I was on the verge of laugh crying, but it was because mm. of the tragedy of it. Yeah. You know, there was no healthy positive sexuality in that environment at all
0: no and honestly i mean I, I have to say when i uh you know you and i talked about this when we last spoke and you sent me that that email um and i just started like fucking around like i, I, I did it with like a french accent and like, like which is hilarious by the <laughs> nothing way nothing
1: makes it better <laughs> though, right
0: <laughs> um but yeah nothing makes it better um and even though i thought it was kind of hilarious uh I, you know i was also like nearly on the verge of tears uh yeah. because I was just thinking about like every time, like you know, every week of, of my life, multiple times per week, reading the yeah. words of this lunatic. Yeah. Uh, and I, I don't remember reading those words specifically, the ones, the ones that you quoted, but mm-hmm. um, I remember hearing hundreds of times of stuff very similar to that. Sure. Uh, sure. And just the thought of you know me and thousands of other kids just listening to this absolute yeah. fucking rubbish for our whole lives. Uh, it's just, it's, it's just fucking, it's tragic in my view to like, to, to think of kids spending their childhood
1: yeah,
0: doing that. And just before this, just before this interview, I put my son to bed and I fucking read him a Minecraft book and I was like, yes, like, you know what, we're just going to read as much Minecraft as you want. Cause yeah, not, you know, that's so much better than this God awful, you know, l- literally, uh, I mean, the, the last one is, uh, you know, it's, it's basically talking about female genital mutilation. Is. Yeah, it, it really
1: is. Explains. Yeah. I mean, it's such violence. And there was yeah. one that I sent you too that was about, you know, male genital mutilation, too. Yeah, so it's true. Women yeah. didn't get off any or men didn't get off any better than than women did in that regard. Um, but you know, to your point, one of the quotes that I sent you where he says American women are descended from a line of prostitutes, mm-hmm. that speech he gave when I was 12. And that's something that my father read at morning service because we did morning service every day, and then we did pledge service every Sunday. That was something that he read to his children, age yeah. 12 and under. Yeah. You know, and, and I mean, obviously, blessed children were supposed to be removed from the lineage of Satan. But for me, as, as a child of two American parents, I was like, oh, I'm descended from prostitutes. Okay. You know, it was, um, it was a very dark thing to hear on the onset of womanhood. Mm-hmm. you know, and I, I wonder what that did to other people's psyches as well. And, and, you know, so many of these other choice quotes.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, I I just want to make it clear. Moon w- talked a lot <laughs> uh, and like all of his words are available online. Um, so yeah. like, I'm, I'm pretty sure someone transcribed every speech that he wrote. And this is a yeah. guy who would do, you know, 12 hour speeches re- regularly. Um it's it's all out there on the internet and and what we have just read is like a percent of a percent of a percent of a percent of all of his words that are that are out there um Mm
1: -hmm. it's
0: just it's it's very it's just scratching the surface of the the craziness that yeah we grew up with um yeah fuck uh (laughs) yeah like like i was yeah I, i i just a, a lot just happened there. I need to uh huh. That uh-huh.
1: Yeah, um, that's a that's a rough way to start. By the way, I know,
0: right? <laughs> yeah, welcome. Uh, by the welcome to the show. Welcome to the show. <laughs> okay, let's ease into it now. Let's ease. Yes. Into
1: um,
0: so, yeah, and we'll let the audience decide if that went well or if it went over like a lead balloon. We'll 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 we'll, we'll, we'll figure it out. Um, right. But we can, and you know, we can. We we may even come back to some of those those ideas later but Mm -hmm. i guess to start with i just wanted to um uh, i guess give you the opportunity uh to tell the audience just a bit about about you sort of where you grew up um Mm -hmm. what your earliest memories are were with the church um when how that sort of shaped your your upbringing
1: Yeah, so um, I'm Jen. I'm an artist and an educator, and I actually uh, use my experience in the Unification Church and uh, breaking the blessing marriage ceremony as sort of a basis for my work. I explore a lot of the themes that you and I were just talking about in some of those quotes Mm -hmm. in my work. Um, And my earliest memories of the church are growing up in the D.C. area. I lived there from about the time that I was two until I finished kindergarten around five, um, so I was born in New York City. My parents had lived in the New Yorker Hotel, uh, but my mom didn't want to raise me there. She didn't think it was an appropriate place for families, um, which is funny because you lived in the New Yorker, I, right? It's
0: funny. Everyone I talk to, like <laughs> everyone passes through the New Yorker at some point. Yeah. All all, yes. all lines go through go through that building at some point.
1: Yeah. Um, so my mom, um, moved out of the New Yorker hotel, I think when she found out I, uh, that she was pregnant with me. Um, but I was taken to daycare there. Now this is, this is not my first memory, but this is something that my mom used to tell me about. Um, there was, a you know, one of the rooms was where they all dropped their children off and then they'd yeah. go work at whatever the world mission headquarters were in, yeah. in that building. Um, And she said that she came back at the end of the day, one day to find me and all of the other babies alone in this room. I was crying in the middle of the room, soiled diaper. uh, And it seemed as though, you know, nobody had been supervising for a really long time. And that's when she decided that she was never going to go back. Um, Now, I don't know what the timeline is between then and her deciding that she was going to move with me uh, and my sister on the way out to Arizona. Um, but then, you know, we ended up moving back to the Virginia, Northern Virginia area. And so I, I saw blessed children on Sundays, but you know, I still interacted with neighborhood kids. I was a very social kid until one day I was playing with this little girl on the playground and I go to her, Susie. I'm better than you because I'm a blessed child and you're not. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, that, that begins the era of my mom being like, you can't tell anybody that. And so she began to explain to me that I had a secret identity and the way that she framed it for me was using sleeping beauty as sort of this analogy. So she said, you know, you're a princess, like princess Aurora, but you're like a princess in exile. So you're like Briar Rose. And one day you'll be able to return to your kingdom. But in the meantime, you can't tell anybody who you are because Satan like Maleficent will find you and attack you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, fuel for nightmares right there. And then she would say to me, things like, um, you know, God has prepared the perfect Prince for you, just mm-hmm. like, uh, Prince Philip for Princess Aurora. And Princess Aurora would have gotten everything that she wanted had she just obeyed the fairies who were her central figures. But because she disunited with them, Maleficent was able to invade and attack and put the kingdom into a hundred years sleep and turn into this, you know, horrible dragon. Wow. Um,
0: and actually just to stop there, just for anyone who's not familiar, this term central figure is sort of, mm-hmm. it's a church, a unification church term. It just kind of, it's like you're your leader, it's your boss, basically.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was the term that we used to define like whoever was in the hierarchy above you. Uh, and yeah. the term that we used was like vertical relationships. So yeah. we were a very hierarchical structure yeah. and we even discouraged what were considered horizontal relationships. Yeah. And in an earlier episode, you talked about like the four-dimensional matrix of relationships. oh yeah
0: yeah, I remember that yeah yeah
1: yeah. and so you know uh trying to figure out who your central figure was in any given situation could be difficult like if you're at a workshop it could be your group leader or the workshop leader at home it was your parents you know but it 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 always shifted you were always trying to figure out who you reported to
0: yeah yeah but no matter where you were you never had any agency in the whole in the whole system there was always someone else who who could make decisions for you
1: right and you had to follow
0: them yeah
1: yeah so um not only did I have a secret identity from the time that I was about 4 um but my mother also told me that and you touched on this very well in an earlier episode that she wasn't really my parent you know she was just mm-hmm. taking care of me for true yeah. parents yeah um and so this was a perfect example of how you know again moon cuts off those those nuclear family yeah. bonds Um, And so it always created this very unstable relationship for me of like, my parents aren't my real parents, but I'm not really adopted, you know, and who am I?
0: Yeah.
1: Um, And it, she, she would tell me that, you know, she was supposed to have left me um, because I guess at some point she was one of the many that were supposed to have dropped their babies off at, you know, a Jacob's house, one of those many nurseries slash orphanages. Um, And she would tell me, you know, but I could never do that to you. I could never leave you like that. Um, And so it's interesting to me because in that sense, like she started to create this foundation for me to realize that you could rebel Mm -hmm. even at a very young age. And she would tell me stories over and over again about how she would defy her central figures. So this was sort of one example of them. Um, Because, you know, in that sense, I was very lucky that I wasn't abandoned for several years while she and my father went off to do a mission. And I know that many kids were, and I know that um, there was neglect in those situations Mm. and that I think a baby even died in one of the Jacob house nurseries because they were so understaffed. Yeah.
0: I think I heard that from someone else. Do you know any more details? about Uh, that? I
1: believe that if you look it up on how well do you know your moon, they have like a newspaper clipping of it.
0: Really? Okay.
1: Yeah. But, right. you know, this goes back to a conversation that you had had with Aries where, uh, you know, if a baby died because there wasn't enough staff to provide accurate care, you would think they would have shut that down or the government yeah. would have come in and shut it down. But yeah. I don't think that they did. Now, if, if they did in, in any capacity, I would love for a listener to correct us. Yeah. but. Um, you know, it was, it created this kind of unstable sense in my world that my mother wasn't supposed to be taking care of me and she felt guilty about it. And she had broken the rules to be yeah. with me. Um, and that was a little bit tough. So then when I was six years old, we moved to the Charlottesville area so that my father could continue his education. Um,
0: Charlotte. So wait, that's Virginia. No, Charlottesville, Charlottesville, Virginia. Virginia. yeah. Okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. And so my parents were a little bit rare in that they both uh, finished their educations in the church. So they had both dropped out of college to join the church. Okay. And my mom had tried to run away from her matching. She did not want to get matched to my dad. And okay. she used to tell me that um, she had decided you know again you know with this trope of the rebel she had decided that her mission was going to be to study spanish because i guess she had been working with causa um and spanish was one of her kind of first languages uh, sorry just
0: to just to pause there is that's something i talked about before uh it was for something, some sort of anti-communist thing. Yeah, it was a
1: front group for the church. It was a front group
0: for the church. Uh, my dad was involved with it as well. Um, oh, really? And it w- I mean, it was dur- during the 80s when there was a lot of, you know, the, the U.S. was trying to support a lot of anti-communist activity in South America and Latin America, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. As well as other parts of the world. Well, Cows was doing stuff in other parts of the world, but it uh, in terms of their ties with what the U S was trying to do. A lot of it was like focused on central and South America, as far as I understand. So it doesn't surprise me that Spanish was a, was a part of that.
1: Yeah. So Spanish, she was born in Mexico to expat Uh, parents. um, And so she had decided that she was going to use that language for, you know, callous admission. So she returned to school. Um, And again, this was something that she told me, she defied her central figures to do, Um, originally she had thought that she could live in the Hawaii center. She told me that she went to the university of Hawaii because it was the furthest that she could get from my father. Wow. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. And this was again, back when they were matched And to rewind a little bit i don't know the exact um dates of this but my mother had been pioneering in west virginia and so pioneering was this term that the church used to witness in areas where there wasn't a strong uh unification church presence and so she and uh one central figure were pioneering in west virginia and um she got bell's palsy now it would be years until she realized that it was undiagnosed Lyme disease that had caused the Bell's palsy. Whoa. But okay. all that she knew was that the entire left side of her face was paralyzed for a time. Whoa. Okay. And Dr. Pock told her that it was evil spirit world attacking her for struggling with her match to my father.
0: Yeah. Can you hold on a sec? Mm-hmm. Hey, come here. You don't? I'm in the middle of doing an interview here. Do you want to say hi hey, to someone? Yeah. Okay. I just need to explain what's happened here behind the scenes. So in the middle of this recording, uh my seven-year-old son was meant to be asleep, but evidently he wasn't because he walked downstairs, entered the camera frame, and entered the recording session, and um I started talking to him. Um he had some questions about what we were doing um and uh eventually I asked him to go back to bed. And he did. And I thought that would be the end of that. But the next day, he asked me if he could see some of the recording just to understand what I was doing here with the podcast. And so I said, sure, let's have a look. Let's review it. So we went through and I showed him the video and the audio of him. And he also heard some of the the audio, just a a tiny fraction of the audio of Jen speaking right before he entered the frame. And he heard the phrase evil spirit world attacking. That's the only thing he heard. And he said, "Daddy, that sounds really scary." And I think that just really drives home how terrifying all this stuff was and to think of, you know, Jen hearing this stuff multiple times a day for her whole life, me hearing this stuff this stuff multiple times a day for my whole life and thousands of other kids hearing this sort of stuff for our whole lives is as jen so eloquently put it earlier fuel for nightmares now back to the interview he's very cute sorry. thanks sorry about that
1: that's okay
0: <laughs> uh wait what were you we saying this is just like full of uh interruptions um yeah yeah what we're, what we're talking um, about.
1: So Dr. Bohipak had told my mother oh, that yeah, the reason right. that she had gotten this paralysis on her face is that it was evil spirit world attacking her for struggling with her match. Okay. Um, and, and so go ahead. Uh,
0: I just wanted to say a couple things there. So Bohipak yeah. was a church leader. He was like really mm-hmm. high up there.
1: Yeah. Like, my father was his assistant, which is how okay. there was this connection to him. Okay.
0: And he was like, almost like Moon's right-hand man or something. He was like Moon's right-hand man. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So he was like way high up there. Yeah. Just this thing you mentioned about them, like, blaming physical ailments on spiritual stuff that was rife the whole church was full of that
1: yeah yeah Uh,
0: like I, i saw it all the time basically
1: yeah Yeah. And so these are kind of things that um, even though they happened before I was born, they kind of underscored my earliest memories as a kid, you know, and and this obviously was sort of the foundation for the family life. Um, But my mother, she, you know, so she is dealing with this paralysis, dealing with this struggle. And I think this is what propelled her to defy her central figure's leave her mission and go to the University of Hawaii. Mm. Um, And she had originally thought that she could stay in the center, uh, but they wanted her to fundraise all the time in order to provide. And so somehow she, you know, basically in a year and a half finished her degree and like lived out of vending machines and got an apartment off campus. Um, And it's really interesting to me because I feel like there are all of these moments in her history where she could have left the church and this kind of uh, plays out throughout my life growing up. Um, but so when I was maybe nine months old, uh, she had moved back to New York City to I guess continue council work. Um and she had moved out of the New Yorker hotel after after she found out I was pregnant. By the time my sister was coming along, my mother was trying to run away from my dad again. And she wow. yeah, she moved back in with her parents in Arizona. Um, but my dad came out a few months later for a causa conference and then I guess they stayed together. Uh, okay. So they moved into the Tempe Center and then shortly thereafter got uh, an apartment together. And my father was supporting the family by selling roses on the corner of, uh, of, of a street, like two main roads, I think in... wow. I don't know if it was the Scottsdale area in Phoenix, but right. maybe it was and Tempe.
0: That's, but, that's something that I've seen a lot. Like yeah, people, like if they're they're work for they're they're doing well. I don't know work. I guess they're working for the church and not getting paid, and then to right. support their family, they have to go do stuff like this, like sell roses yeah. on the side of the road.
1: Yeah, and so I think that my mom realized that uh, that was not how she wanted to live. And so she convinced my father to go back to school. And so he uh, went to the University of Arizona, again, while supporting his family by selling roses on the side of the road, Mm -hmm. got his undergrad, and then we moved out to Virginia. He had been promised a really good job once he'd gotten his undergrad And when he arrived, uh, they, they did the bait and switch on him, um, the church, and they offered him a salary that was like maybe a third of what they had originally promised. Whoa. Yeah. Um, And so this was, you know, the foundation for my family with like a third baby on the way. And my dad is now going to Georgetown to get his master's. So by the time I was done with kindergarten, he was ready for his PhD and we moved down to Charlottesville so he could go to the University of Virginia. Okay. And by then uh so I think the last two of my my uh, four siblings arrived so I'm the oldest of five. There's two girls and then three younger boys. So we have a family of five. My father is working for now the Summit Council. Um during the week and then going to school on the weekends.
0: Okay. And Summit Council is...
1: It's another front group uh, related to international relations. um, But I couldn't tell you off the top of my head exactly what they do. I think they focus more on like politics and academia and maybe that intersection because my father's degree was in international relations with North Korea. And so his, his entire academic career was really focused on serving that End for the right. church okay um and the church has given like hosted academic conferences for decades you know yeah. there's even books from like the 70s when they were hosting conferences so this yeah. has sort of been part of their modus operandi mm-hmm. for a long time and, yeah, and it's my, just shifted into different groups
0: yeah my dad did did that uh yeah. he was in this thing called icus which is like okay. focused on sciences yes. so he yeah. would like organize these conferences of scientists yeah. around the world Mm-hmm. And then they'd bring in like Moon or maybe Bogeybock or whatever, and they'd give a speech. Yeah. Like, Scientists were like, what the fuck?
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> and, then they all and, <laughs> and so
1: I don't know if, if Summit Council was, was specifically for that. It might have been more about like engineering conversations between heads of states and diplomacy and whatnot. I'd have yeah. to research it more. Yeah. Um, but when I was on one of the church websites, I couldn't find a lot of information about it. Okay. Um, and as a kid, I really had no understanding of what it was. All oh, I yeah. knew was that my dad was the third most important man in the world, because I knew that Amazing. moon was the most important. Dr. <laughs> Bohi Pak was number two and my dad was number three. So wow. that's the math. All right.
0: All right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. He was up there. He was up
1: there. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Um, but because there were so many kids and because my father's schedule was just so packed trying to support kids and, and also work for a mission, we didn't make it up to D.C. very often. So we basically went to church on the holy days. And I think at that yeah, time there were okay. like eight holy days on the church calendar. so.
0: Yeah, it's funny. I kind of I mean, I remember. So I grew up in the D.C. area and I went to church every Sunday. Right. Um, but I remember on the holy days, you'd get all these these families fr- from like the satellite satellite yeah. areas would come in. I'd be like, who are these people? I never, yeah. knew, uh, you know, I'd see them a couple times a year, basically.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And we'd um, get crammed into like either that back room, that big red room oh behind the sanctuary or in the basement where there was like yeah. missing tiles and stuff on the floor. Uh, oh,
0: I remember that. I've had some yeah. experiences down there. Um, yeah. You
1: could trip. You could yeah. twist your ankle in those.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 Um, Oh, wow. Okay. So you were there. All right. I didn't know. Oh that. Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah. And so when I was, you know, between maybe two and five, we were going every Sunday as well and probably seeing BC's blessed children, um, you know, during the week. But once we moved to, to the Charlottesville area, it was eight times a year. So less than once yeah. a month. Yeah. And so what that did for us is um, it made us outsiders. And it made me feel like an outsider in the church because I had to go to public school. I had to have this secret identity as a blessed child. Nobody yeah. was supposed to know. But then when I would go to church, nobody knew who I was. And these kids mm-hmm. in these more insular communities are very tight knit. Yeah. And so it was very hard for me to relate to them. And I I often felt like I was excluded to the point where I stopped going to Sunday school. I would sit in the sermons and like doodle in my mom's notebook because I was too scared to play with other kids. Oh,
0: really? Oh, man. Yeah sucks.
1: Yeah, it did suck. It really did. Because,
0: I mean, I... One thing I I I did enjoy like just playing with other kids on Sundays. Oh yeah, I did too. It was fun. Yeah.
1: My um before we moved, I had a best friend at the church, and um around the time we moved to Charlottesville, she moved out to the West Coast for her father's mission, and we became pen pals. And she was the person that my mother would refer to as like she's your real friend. So when Mm -hmm. I got lonely at school because she didn't want me playing with other kids, she'd be like, just remember so and so is your real friend it was almost like telling a kid like well you have an imaginary friend so it's fine yeah so unfortunately my childhood was really defined by loneliness and then also that that sense of having that double life you know Mm -hmm. um and and being isolated within a secret identity so um, I think my mom noticed that I was having a lot of trouble relating to people. I, I started having panic attacks going to school when I was in first grade.
0: Oh, that's really, yeah. that's really young. I usually yeah. associate that with like adolescents or like, after
1: no, no, my first panic attack Whoa. was probably the first time I was hospitalized for a panic attack was when Whoa. I was eight, Jesus. um, But I would like cry every day, I didn't want to go to school. So when I was eight years old, my mom sent me to Camp Sunrise for a week. And Mm -hmm. so I was put on a bus with people I didn't know, and shipped eight hours north to New York to the Catskill Mountains Mm -hmm. to Camp Sunrise. And I don't think that I experienced Camp Sunrise at its most hardcore. But I remember being woken up really early, and the first thing that we would do before lecture, which was before breakfast, was like unity jumping jacks.
0: Mm, and so this for, just came and, up. Yeah. I just talked someone about this. Yeah.
1: Okay. So should I explain unity jumping uh, jacks?
0: No, actually, I think by the time this gets out, that explanation will already be there. Um, okay. But it's a form of group. Uh, what? One of the things that came out in that other view, other interview, is like it's kind of. It, this whole paradigm of like punishing the group for the failures of one individual is something that is like considered to be torture in some, in Mm -hmm. some, in some circles, uh, which is not something that I was aware of before having that conversation. Yeah.
1: Uh, And so I'm eight years old in wow, this environment young. i was very I, w- I think i was younger than i was supposed to be yeah. um, i think that the cutoff age was maybe 10 or something but still okay. that's young but that's still young wrong. yeah but my mother you know she got me into kindergarten when i was four she always was like oh you're so mature so she found ways to weasel me into things that yeah. i was technically too young for but that being said we still have children being subjected to like group punishment Um, And I remember like the first day that I was there, somebody was like, yeah, well, you have to make sure that your cabin is clean. Otherwise, they're going to hit you with a stick. And um, and I heard stories later that, uh, you know, a young brother's group was made to kneel on the blacktop in the rain with their arms up in the air because their cabin was the messiest. Um, Oh, my God. Yeah. There's pictures, too.
0: That's horrible. Yeah, there That's are pictures horrible.
1: of this uh, in a, a wow. thread in the Facebook group we're both in. Okay. Oh,
0: wow. um, okay yeah, I, yeah I,
1: could, I could send it to you later if okay. you like. But okay. um, so I, I also remember.
0: I just, just want to say that you said you're eight, you were eight years old. Yeah. I don't know what's going to happen when, when this is all done. But my, my son who just, who just came down and said, said hi to us, mm-hmm. he's seven so he's like seven and you saw how young he was there yeah i would have would have heard it if you if you can hear it like he is young Mm -hmm. uh and he's seven uh seven and a quarter or something like that i don't know like so you know he's like he's not that much younger than you were at that uh, at that point in your life
1: yeah yeah i mean my friend has a daughter who's also seven maybe eight and i saw her pre-lockdown in march of last year yeah um And it, it like, when I think about how little she is and she's incredibly intelligent, old soul kind of child still. When I think about how young she is, first of all, sending her away for a week to trust, you know, strangers to take care of her. That's crazy. Um, But then the stuff that happened was pretty intense too. So the, the lecture schedule was almost back to back. Like we'd have five minute breaks sometimes between lectures. And then you you had meals and short activity periods, but for the most part, these workshops were indoctrination centers. Yeah. And um, I think one of the first nights we played Ute. Do you remember that remember, game? I
0: remember Ute, but can can you explain it?
1: I cannot it's a <laughs> Korean game with <laughs> sticks that you like scream and you throw the sticks and I only played it maybe that one time when I was eight okay but they kept us up really really late playing this game okay. and I was so tired I remember um crawl oh. like curling up on a table somewhere to fall asleep because it was like 11 o'clock at night yeah. my bedtime was like 8 yeah, yeah, 30 yeah and these these older sisters these unnie's, like got mad at me. Sorry, I just Her, want
0: to say, un, un, can you explain Oni? Yeah,
1: Oni is uh, is Korean for older sister when you're uh, a girl referring to an yeah. older sister.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so yeah, they got mad at me and they tried to like get me up to go back to the game and play because part of the way, it's like this board game played on a sheet um, and we ha- it was this big tournament that we were playing. Yeah. And the way that the moons and leaders talked about it was like everybody in your group had to scream the the number that you were supposed to throw on the sticks which were kind of like dice to get you the number of steps to whatever yeah Uh, if you all were in harmony enough spirit world would give you the number that you needed or something and so by my laying down I was disuniting with the group and I was disuniting with my team um and later we had to do chores so like the next day so but Again, we're keeping kids up until midnight, one in the morning, yeah. waking them up at five thirty or six and yeah, doing these exercises and these lectures. At,
0: at that age, man, that's horrible.
1: What age it's, is appropriate to yeah, do that to somebody? Yeah, Let's just no. be clear. <laughs> <laughs> Even if uh, you're it's, 18, it's still messed yeah, up. Yeah,
0: no, no, it's it's bad, but I'm just to think about that with the context of like my son right now. Yeah, I'm
1: yeah, like, yeah. Oh, totally. No
0: way, God.
1: Um God. and so later. Uh, I find out we have to do chores like sometime during this week, and um, you know it's. I think it's cool to teach kids to clean up after themselves, but it, the way that it was presented was in the context of punishment. So, like, yeah. if you were going to be punished, you were going to have to clean the bathrooms. Now, do you remember the smell of the bathrooms? Oh, they, I were can't they, they were, were horrible. They were so bad. They were awful. Yeah. So. It was, it was something that was used in my mind to keep us in line because of the fear of this as a punishment. Yeah. The thing that I ended up having to do was do dishes in the VIP cabin, which was off limits. So it was like an adult's oh, cabin. You didn't even really ga- have a
0: VIP cabin.
1: I was brought in with like two or three other girls to do to clean somebody else's kitchen, like an adult's kitchen or leader's mm-hmm. kitchen. That's weird. That in and of yeah. itself, like let's bring yeah, the children in to do labor. Yeah, yeah but then I remember I'm standing at the sink little eight-year-old girl with these oversized red gloves and the the camp director's husband who I will not name comes in and says something along the lines of well you girls are doing a really good job but if you don't hurry I'm gonna have to hit you and yeah and this is this is on top of all of these rumors of if you get if you're late to lecture you're going to get hit with a stick if your cabin is messy you're going to get hit and then here's this adult telling me that he's going to hit me yeah and i turn to him and i go you can't hit me i'm so-and-so's daughter (laughs) i don't want to say my dad's name because i don't want him to get called out but um and he's like oh you're so-and-so's daughter well nice to meet you and he kind of laughs and walks away But I was terrified because this is an adult that I don't know that's like in in my mind threatening to harm me. Now, this isn't to say that my parents didn't hit me because they did a lot. My my parents were both very abusive. um, But still, it, it struck me as not being okay at that age. I couldn't understand that my parents hitting me was also not an appropriate way for adults to interact. But I did understand that I was in a situation basically with untrustworthy adults. Mm. And that really was a foundation for my mental and emotional relationship with first generation, basically for the rest of my life was okay. like, these people are going to hurt me if I let them, they want to wow. hurt me and they are not trustworthy.
0: Wow. Yeah. Wow. So what a, what a foundation for what
1: oldest. a head trip. Right. Jesus. Yeah. Um, and oh, so i was sent to to workshops pretty much every school break after that and i yeah. i will say that not every single camp was like that for example yeah. camp sun up in virginia was less
0: yeah less uh, I, I was there i remember I, do, I went to camp sun up a few years and it okay. was more of like just kind of a kind of cool jovial like
1: yeah there were still lectures but it wasn't intense yeah i wouldn't call it
0: workshops that was more of a camp yeah
1: yeah i would agree Um, Camp sunrise my mother was the divine principal lecturer one year um and i think that the reason is is that the first year that i was at camp sunup there was again to to underscore this relationship with first generation I remember there was a a first generation who was just a little bit handsy with the girls Mm -hmm. and I wasn't okay with it. And at first I thought he was being kind of friendly. Um, But then I was like, yo, no, this isn't okay. In, you know, eight, eight year old Mm -hmm. language or whatever. Um, But one day I remember my group was walking down the hill from the lecture hall past the lake to the capture the flag field if you Hmm, remember remember that that. landscape yeah yeah yeah.
0: i remember that yeah
1: and there's a point close to the lake where you can't really be seen very well from up the hill and from the capture the flag field Mm -hmm. and he catches up with me and and a bunch of little girls who happen to be unsupervised at the time and he's he grabs this little girl and he starts like tickling her and 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 playing with her And I could tell that she wasn't okay with what was happening. She was like screaming and being like, no, don't. And it's one thing when you're tickling kids and they're playful and they're like, no, stop. And you know that, you know, and you'll stop Mm. and they'll be like, no more, you know, and it's a game. That's not what this was. And I could tell. So I started yelling at him, like, don't touch her, leave her alone. Mm. And he knocked me over, grabbed my shoe, pulled it off and threw it out into the lake What the fuck i know and i just started bawling and screaming at him because my family had so little money that i knew that the loss of my shoe Mm. was a really big problem and that i would get in trouble when i got home it wasn't that this guy was going to get in trouble for throwing my shoe but i made such a ruckus that uh then other people came over and this guy had to go out into the middle of the lake and rescue my shoe before it like filled with water and sunk um, and I remember telling my mom about that. So she decided to become the divine principal wow. lecturer the next year.
0: Oh, so like just I I, it... like protect you or like protect your shoes? I think just to keep or an like, eye on things. Or like, okay. Not on my shoes. Right. I think that was okay. more
1: to do with protecting okay. us. Okay. <laughs> right. Luckily, okay. Okay. I will give her that. I,
0: I, you never know. You never know. I'm just, Yeah.
1: I mean, she was, money was a problem. Money was a big problem. And and there was definitely a lot of guilt that she put on us when like we outgrew our shoes, for example, that was difficult. But I think that her choice there was much more along the lines of like, there are unscrupulous people. What she used to tell me when I was older is that, in the Catholic church, there's everything from the mafia to mother Teresa. And I think that she was using that as an analogy for the unification church as well, that, you know, there are good people and there are bad people and you can't necessarily trust everybody. Um, and I don't think that she had said that to me at that point, but I think that that was probably her thinking was that, okay, you know, somebody has behaved in an inappropriate manner. So I have to step in. Um, but I think that was the only year that she was the lecturer at that point. And I thought it was awesome. Like, everybody's like, your mom is such a good lecturer. She's so fun. And I was like, yeah, my mom's cool. <laughs> so I didn't really think of it in the context of, like, she stepped in to protect me Trying and keep an eye on these. things. Yeah. Yeah. But as I reflect back on it, I'm like, that's probably what that was. Yeah. Um. And so in that sense, I applaud her. Um, and also I remembered telling her about Camp Sunrise too. And I remember her being like, something's wrong about this equation. She said, you know, the first generation paid the indemnity so that the second generation didn't have to. And I don't know if you've explained the concept. No. Of can you, can you explain depth. that? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's sort of like these preconditions for, of like paying it forward to separate yourself from, from satan it's like a currency that god can use so the more that you suffer the more currency you have against satan and i'm sure that other people have better or different definitions but that's kind of how i looked at it yeah um and so she said to me you know sometimes i don't know if we're paying indemnity or indemnity she said that That became like this favorite word of hers is indemnity
0: that's cool that's a huh
1: yeah, and and so again, this sort of underscored for me this sense of like, okay, my mother would tell me these stories of her being a rebel and she would say these things to me. And I feel like that built for me this, eventually the foundation to leave. Like my mother was the the strongest opponent of my leaving, but she was also the thing that allowed me to mm. have the mental wherewithal to leave. Um, but we lived in Virginia until I was 12, And then my father lost (laughs) his. So my father finished his dissertation and then lost his job at the summit council. So again, we have this, this thing where, uh, you know, the church does not take care of their own. And I I think he was encouraged to get both of his, um, his, his master's and his PhD. I, I think it was encouraged by the church and I, I'm pretty sure that there was like, do this and we'll take care of you kind of thing. Yeah, was, do this and we'll give animal. you a
0: higher position.
1: Right, right. Yeah. And that was sort of the sense that, that we had. So he gets his dissertation and then loses his job at the summit council. Whoa. And so suddenly my family with five children has no money. So my grandparents were out in Arizona where my mother had grown up after coming from Mexico and they owned a travel agency. So they offered her a job. And so we moved from Virginia to Arizona, and this was the first time that I had really been in close contact with other blessed children in about seven okay. years. Okay. Now, Arizona is not a, a densely populated church community. No, it's pretty means. sparse.
0: It's, pretty it's sparse.
1: very sparse, yeah. but it was still the kind of place where we'd be able to see blessed children, you know, at least once a week. Okay. And so that period of my life is like me being immersed more in the church and seeing more of what it was about. My first experience with the church there is um, (laughs) the state leader at the time was also a state assemblyman and he was up for re-election. Wait,
0: hold on. He was he was a church leader but he He was was the church
1: state leader so in the church um various there were state leaders and uh continental directors and regional directors okay and i don't know you know what in between Um, but i think every state has a leader
0: okay but you're saying he was a state leader but he was also like in like normal politics he was also in
1: normal politics because this is around the time that moon is pushing for us to infiltrate and i say us as like it was the us of me back then he was pushing for the unification church to infiltrate politics. And I think that that's something that starts to kind of amp up in his speeches and whatnot. Yeah. And a a wonderful book for anybody who's interested. And and maybe you talked to Teddy about this in part two, which I didn't get to listen to, but a wonderful book about moons integration into right-wing politics is bad moon rising by John Gornfeld. Mm,
0: Yeah. Um, it's yeah.
1: a dense read, but it is so well researched. It's wonderful. Yeah. Um, and so I think again, uh, at the time, I think it was 1996. This is when you know that push is starting to happen. Okay. So this guy's up for re-election. Okay.
0: I think he- I know who you're talking about. Hold on. Can I guess? What, you what, what, may. We we could take the name out. Is the last name? Yes. Okay. I know. Yeah. I know him. I know his daughter. I know the the. I know the guy that her his daughter married.
1: Yeah. I know yes. that whole family. Me okay. too. <laughs> okay. <All
0: right.
1: laughs> um, and so the, and I'm really excited as we move here because nervous and excited because um, for the past seven years, my my friend from when i was five has been my pen pal and that's my ideal friend that i'm allowed to have right and even though i'm pushing to have outside friends my mother is very strict about it very upset when i i asked to play with other kids and she's always yeah. like you know they have such low standards um why can't you find high standard friends this is yeah. a sort of church language yeah. um, and it was always said as a reflection on me yeah. you know um and so anyway, we, we moved to Arizona. I'm nervous because I've felt like an outsider when I've gone to church uh, in Washington, D.C. So I'm like, are these B.C.s going to be accepting of me? Are they not? And one of the first activities that we have for the youth group is canvassing the district for the state leaders reelection to the state assembly.
0: So, okay, just let me just make sure I understand. So you as a kid in this religious group are being asked to volunteer for the political campaign of this?
1: Let me put it in more frank terms. Uh, My sister and I, I'm 12, my sister is 10, and this guy's 12-year-old daughter and 10-year-old son are being labor trafficked. We are being dropped Mm -hmm. off in the 110-degree summer heat in the desert to go through some not very nice neighborhoods by ourselves Mm -hmm. to knock on doors hand out flyers and ask people if we can put signs in their yards for hours on end and uh, again i'm coming from virginia so i i don't know how to deal with the summer heat i didn't have enough water with me i got heat stroke Mm. so i sit down on the side of the road because i'm about to throw up i have this horrible headache um, you know, people can get hospitalized for heat stroke. So it's nothing to to sneeze at by any means. And my sister's like, oh my God, are you okay? And these other two kids, the state leaders, children come around the corner because we had split up. Um, and they're like, are you done with this side yet? Hmm. And my sister's like, no, Jenny's not feeling good. And they're like, whatever, you're just caning out. <laughs> and so I caning mean, out, I yeah, caning out. Oh
0: my God. <sighs>
1: Caining out oh. refers to the biblical Cain who killed Abel and what it means is you're being negative and it was language mm-hmm. that was used to shame you into acquiescence and to shame you into yeah. what was considered right behavior yeah. and so I think it, that might have been one of the first times I'd had that directed at me but I knew what it meant so I must yeah. have heard it before um and so there was no compassion for for the fact that I couldn't physically keep up with what was being asked of us um and then the next time we get together our my mother and the state leader drop us off in a city park to sell light ropes for the 4th of July so we again are 12 and 10 walking around by ourselves pockets full of money selling to pockets of people who are sitting in the park to watch the fireworks um and i actually got asked out by an older man who was like will you go out with me and i was like no and he's like why not i'm like because i don't know you and he goes well how old are you and i'm like 12 he's like shit i knew it well will you go out with me anyway And my my little sister steps and she goes, she said, no, leave her alone. (laughs) But because she could tell that I was like so scared and afraid. And the girl who was with us, like grabs me and pulls me away, but treats me like it's my fault. And this sort of sets the foundation for me feeling like people are looking at me like I have chapter two problems. Mm.
0: Is this can, language can, that has... Uh, yeah. no, no, you got to you gotta explain a lot here, Jen. <laughs>
1: yeah, 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 that's you, fine. Uh, uh, yeah. We speak a completely different language. So yeah. chapter two refers to the second chapter of the theological text, the divine principle, and that goes over the fall of man. So to have chapter two problems is basically saying you have sexual problems mm. um, and that you have fallen tendencies Um, for
0: the record sexual problems in this so-called movement are just like are they but they're just like anything any any like normal sexual desire is a sexual problem for this for, for this movement
1: yeah i think it goes further too and and i think it has a lot to do with i mean correct me if if your perspective is different but i think that when a girl attracts the attention of a boy or another girl um the onus is put on her for making herself attractive and in purity culture and like the evangelical movement they call a woman a stumbling block when that happens yeah it's less to do with yeah messed up um so it's less to do with like the man's desire versus the woman having done something to cause that desire. And so at 12 years old, I knew that I had done something to attract this older man, this stranger. I didn't know what it was, but I knew that it meant there was something wrong with me, especially Mm. based on the way this other blessed child treated me. Um, and then the next activity that I remember is us being taken to the state leader's house so that we could scrub the grout of his kitchen with a toothbrush. What? These were these were what the, the these were the fun Jesus. youth group activities that we were doing. Now, meanwhile, my mother has us like going to the pool and she would take us to water parks and stuff, but the state leader thought that for our spiritual development, these were the things that were supposed to happen. Yeah and so i remember being like why are we doing this why aren't we at the pool cuz i didn't understand like why is this better why is scrubbing the floor better and um and so not only did the state leader like chew me out over it and tell me you know well true father is sacrificing for you and he's doing this 50 state speaking tour or maybe it was true mother and you know here's how hard they're working for the providence you know would you rather be doing that kind of a thing Um, But again, using shame as a control Mm. tool, I was like, okay, I guess I'm just going to shut down here. I must be a bad person because I want to play in the pool. I don't want to be on my hands and knees in this hot, sweaty kitchen, scrubbing grout with a toothbrush, Yeah, you know, and like my sister and I, we did a lot of chores growing up. You know, we did laundry. We learned how to do it when we were six and eight, we changed baby diapers. So it wasn't like we didn't know how to work. But to me, it was like, wait a minute. Why is this like a, a recreational yeah, activity? Is, yeah, why is
0: this? Yeah, that, that's crazy. But it, it doesn't was, surprise me at all.
1: Yeah. Um, and so it, it, it made me realize, reflecting and, and listening to, um, you know, Teddy talk uh, over the years, too, as he's done his activism, that there was no problem trafficking our children no. at a very young age. No. Like, I had thought, oh, yeah, I did STF, so I was labor trafficked. No, I started getting trafficked when I was 12. You could even technically yeah. argue that the stuff that they made us do at Camp Sunrise probably falls under that, mm. but we weren't being like moved across various like county lines or anything like that. Yeah. Um but it definitely started amping up when when we moved to Arizona. And so Wow. I I really struggled with my relationship with the church and again, I I still was going to public school and and Arizona was not densely populated enough with church members for me to be going to a school with other blessed children. Mm. And I will also say, my parents were a little bit elitist in that they didn't want to live in the neighborhoods that most church families could afford. Mm. Um, And those were usually the lower socioeconomic areas. Yeah. My parents wanted to be in the areas that had the good schools and the low crime rates. Yeah. Which meant that we were often hand to mouth in terms of money. And my parents Mm. were borrowing money from their parents all the time. And that was a whole toxic system. Wow. Um but my parents didn't want me living in the neighborhood that would feed into the school district where some of the other blessed children were going because it was Uh, It had a much, much higher crime rate. Okay. And so uh, I was alone again. And additionally, my family was becoming more and more violent. My father especially was becoming more and more violent towards the end of our time in Arizona or in in Virginia and then in Arizona. Um, And that kind of coincided with my panic attacks amping up to the point where before we left Virginia, I asked my mother to, um, to homeschool me for the second semester uh. of seventh grade. And so she unenrolled un- me from school, but she never got me a curriculum because it was too expensive. And so That's
0: I was- like, I, I've heard so many stories and I know people personally who've just gone through at least like, homeschooling for moonies is like meaningless it's just like it's just like oh well they're just not in school but they'll just learn some shit on their own they'll figure it out basically
1: yeah yeah i was given a a set of encyclopedias and told to read the encyclopedias and given a language a korean language dvd like computer (laughs) thing and i i did not do very well with any of it because to this day (laughs) i speak and read no korean but um, so in seventh grade, I spent a semester doing nothing, um, homeschooling, yeah. and I, I did take a Virginia state exam to say that I had enough knowledge or whatever to yeah. have qualified. I was in the gifted program growing up, so my mother sort of figured that, like, well, I guess you're not going to miss much.
0: Could, okay.
1: So I tested out of anybody coming in like the government didn't come in to be like what the hell is going on in fact like i kind of
0: clever enough to sort of i qualified for the the psat's
1: at at 12 as opposed to somebody being like something's wrong here this child's not getting the education she needs um, yeah, okay. And so in 8th grade when we had moved to Arizona, it was just also culture shock for me too coming from the East Coast. West Coast culture is totally different. Mm. And so it was a lot more like hip street and I was this, you know, isolated girl from the country in Virginia. Um and so I made it a semester in 8th grade before I dropped out again and there was Whoa. still no curriculum yeah. the second semester. Um, and so I remember one time I was taking, so around the time in eighth grade, my mom became state leader, um, probably towards the end of eighth grade, uh, which I think is a rarity because she was a, she's she's a woman. It is rare. Uh, That's really rare. That's
0: the first time I've heard of it.
1: Nobody wanted the job. It was such a a shit eating job. (laughs) I think no one wanted it. Uh, and so she took it. (laughs) And, you know, job in print in in air quotes, because I don't think that it was a paid role by any means, but she ended up spending most of her time at the center witnessing. Um, And so that meant that I was able to like go for a walk with one of the few friends that I'd kept up with from eighth grade. And I remember us hiking in South Mountain Preserve near my house. And she was like, so how's homeschooling going? And I'm like, fine. And she's like, (laughs) oh, oh, Really? So Mm -hmm. what's the quadratic formula? And I was like, complete blank. I had Mm -hmm. no idea because Mm -hmm. I, I wasn't doing jack shit for, for schooling. And it scared me so much that I realized that I might be behind. I'd had no problem catching up when I enrolled in eighth grade, but now I was like, okay, high school is looming. What am I going to do? So she scared me enough to enroll in high school and because my mother was out of the house so much, and my family had to downsize into apartments because money was so tight, I was able to kind of run free in these apartments and make friends. And most of these kids were going to be going to the high school right next door. Mm. And I made friends with some kids that made me feel like, oh, okay, I can do this. And so I decided mm. to go to high school.
0: Okay.
1: And in high school, I got a boyfriend.
0: Whoa. Yeah. Shocker.
1: Right. I know. I know. Um, and it was, it was interesting because it, my mother always used to tell me not to live a double life. She would always mm-hmm. caution me of that. And looking back, I question, how does one not live a double life when you're told to have a secret identity? Because yeah, again, yeah,
0: that's the, whole, the very whole premise of your existence.
1: Exactly. Is, is, exactly. Is that. Yeah. Right. So I had no problem compartmentalizing.
0: Folks, that's it for part one with Jen Kiaba. How many times did she move houses and how many times did she move schools? We're only at age. 13 or 14 now and i've completely lost track can you imagine the amount of chaos that would cause in your life and i want to go back to one of the points she made about her mother made the admission that you know the catholic church has people from the mafia to mother Teresa, and the unification church probably similarly has you know people of all of all stripes in terms of their their core moral character um And personally, I don't know about anyone else, but personally, I think that was kind of missing in the perspective of my own parents, and I suspect many other parents did not have that same perspective. There was this belief that somehow anyone who was in the church was inherently good, and therefore they could be trusted. They could be trusted to do the right things and not abuse kids, when in fact, many of them were abusers, as you will hear in further episodes with... Jen as well as with many other people and I'm sure you've heard already it's a sad fact that we were all exposed to child abusers in different ways and our parents stood by it because they just thought that they had to be good because they were part of the movement I hope you'll stick around for part two with Jen it's got a great fucking name it's called Scorpion House stick around I hope you like it